Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 33 of The Lawyerist Podcast, a weekly podcast about lawyering and law practice. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or using your favorite podcast app, or you can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. If you enjoy our show, we would really appreciate it if you take a few seconds and give us a rating in iTunes. Lawyerist has a small but growing library of lawyering survival guides. We've got a guide to great law firm website design and our computer security upgrade, about which Andrew Cabasso of Juris Page says, check out this guide and secure your damn computers. Find out more and get the guides at lawyerist.com guides, or click on guides at the top of the site. Use the code podcast to get a 50% discount on your order. Just enter the word podcast into the checkout form. I should point out that the website design guide is free. Sponsoring today's podcast is Ruby Receptionists. If you aren't already a customer, just know that you would be happy if you were. Sign up for a free trial at callruby.com slash lawyerist, and Ruby will answer your phones for free for two weeks. So, Aaron, big news today. Big news? Big news yesterday, I guess. Oh, or last week, depending on when this airs. Yeah. Microsoft launched a practice management software product. Cool. Which is huge. Um, yeah, it's potentially huge anyway. Is it? It's not the first time Microsoft has had a product that you could use for practice management, of course. Um, it actually had a, a business center add-on for Outlook that it made available a while back that sort of allowed you to aggregate your matters in a way. Um, but this is a new one, and apparently this is one that Microsoft developed for its own use and uh, decided to put it together for customers or partners or something. I, I'm not exactly he- clear who it's av- going to be available to. Yeah, looking at the press release for this, it's super unclear to me whether there's actually a product here or if there's just some configuration add-ons for Outlook that some people who have legal work like Microsoft's corporate legal counsel might want. Yeah, I, I think it's a... I think it's a sort of a business corporate level service, not a uh, may, maybe service, not a not like an you can just buy it and and it bolts on to Outlook or something. Yeah, I mean the the I'm announcement. Sure. I mean, first of all, it hasn't actually been released. There are no screenshots or features lists or anything. They just said we've got something that will come out in a few months, um, mm-hmm. and it looks like it's not even a product they are going to be packaging and selling. Which makes me really skeptical of it. Yeah. Well, and and this, I you pointed this out, which I think is the weirdest part of it, that they're actually going to make it available as an open source GitHub repository. Which, of course, two of our readers know what that means, or listeners. Yeah. Well, right. Okay. So if you don't know what GitHub is, GitHub is where about half of the open source software and a lot of the closed source software uh, lives on the internet. It's a it's a version control. If you think of track changes for Microsoft Word, GitHub is a much much more sophisticated version of track changes for teams of software developers. And it's not just used for open source stuff, but the headline grabbing piece of GitHub is that 
by default, everything is open. I mean, all of Lawyerist's code is up on GitHub. I use it because it's a great, easy way to back it up um, and also to, to share. People are asking, sometimes ask me how I've done things and, and I can just direct them to a line in our code for our site. Um, so it's pretty huge that Microsoft is just going to dump Matter Center out there. But it also makes me think that if you wanted to implement Matter Center, you're going to need a fairly high level of sophistication to even turn it on. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Yeah. Huh. I'm I'm guessing that Clio and my case are not feeling threatened by this today. I don't think so. My my hunch is the same as yours, that this is to the extent this is going to be available, it's more of a service that will be offered to enterprise scale legal departments, not um, maybe law firms, but probably, you know, corporate legal departments and probably not the kind of thing that your average solo or small firm lawyer is going to be interested in. But the fact that it's out there on GitHub and we do have um, lawyer developers out there, um, it's possible that somebody will take it and run with it and make something more consumer friendly that you can just plug into Outlook. I don't know. I guess we'll see. It's big news, but it's unclear what the news is. Ah. So we'll see. Today, I'm talking to a judge on the Court of Appeals of Georgia who may be as well known for his tweets as for his decisions. Here's our conversation about judges and social media. This is Stephen Dillard. I'm a judge on the Court of Appeals of Georgia. Hi, Judge. Welcome. And you are here to talk about social media. That's right. That's right. I um, started an account uh, in October of 2010 after learning that I was appointed to the Court of Appeals of Georgia by Governor Sonny Perdue. Uh, there was about a 10-day period between at the time when I was uh, the appointment was announced and when I was actually sworn in. So I went up and went ahead and set up an account uh, knowing that I wanted to have this as, as part of my election, uh, you know, I knew I would have to stand for election in a couple of years and also just general outreach to the public about what appellate judges do. Oh, interesting. So you, so Twitter was part of the package when right after you were appointed, huh? It was for me. I, I, I've, I've been involved in blogging and, and um, social media really from the outset. I'm, I've always, it's something I've always been interested in, technology and social media. So for me, it was a pretty natural fit, um, especially in a state like Georgia, which is one of our larger states, 10 million people. Um, it's a massive state. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I, know, I know that, especially now having traveled a lot, even running unopposed. I'm, I, I went out and, and I traveled to a lot of different cities in Georgia, getting to know folks shortly after I was appointed. And uh, so social media is, is, is a quick way to, to communicate to a lot of people. Interesting. So, so when you decided to sign up for Twitter, there was no real process. You just decided to do it. That, that's right. I mean, there no, there was no, there, there are no. I know there's some states where there's, uh, you know, severe restrictions or fairly heavy restrictions on use of social media by oh, really? lawyers and judges. Um, I think South Carolina may be one. Maybe it's just with lawyer. Maybe I'm thinking of LinkedIn or or that sort of thing. But. Um, I, to me, it just made sense, and I, I knew there were, um, you know, folks that were using 
Twitter to brand themselves, whether it was a company or an individual. And to me, I may have been on the early end of it, but it just made sense to me. I mean, I, you know, using Facebook, and I, you already saw politicians using Facebook sure. as a means of campaigning and using Twitter as a means of campaigning. And, you know, judicial races, races are down-ballot races. And <laughs> there's, there, are, there are a lot of complaints that there's not enough information out there, that there's not enough education about these very important positions. And so I felt like this was a good way that I could communicate to the voters of Georgia and, and to have even a, uh, a broader appeal. I've always enjoyed, even before I was appointed, I, I, I would go regularly spoke to law schools. I would you know, was invited to speak to law schools on various different topics. And so I always enjoyed staying in touch with law students and young lawyers and mentoring even in my firm and outside the firm. And so I viewed that as another way, uh, Twitter as a way of, of – being accessible to uh, law students, young lawyers, voters, people who want to learn more uh, about the uh, the appellate system in Georgia or just in general. Now, were you the first judge on Twitter? I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm trying to recall whether Justice Willett was already on there, but I, I, I don't think I was the first one. Okay, interesting. I might have been maybe in the first round of of judges that were fairly active beyond simply saying, hey, I'm going to speak to the Rotary <laughs> Club on Tuesday. And, and honestly, that's how I started out. Um, well, and I should say, your your account does not read like a political account in any way. You've, you've said you wanted to start it to communicate with voters, and you've referenced politicians, but you have a fun account. I, I try to keep it... Uh, I mean, there's different purposes. I try to keep it... One, I, I want people to read, the, uh, I guess, my timeline and, and get a sense of who I am as a person. You know, I, I have usually on a daily basis, I'll post some music that I'm listening to in the background while I'm working. The, you know, music is a huge part of a lot of people's lives. It gives you a sense of what kind of person, um, you know, someone is, depending on what kind of music they like. So I do that. Uh, I, I love to talk about professionalism, um, appellate practice. Um, you know, stories that I would call law, uh, law nerd or legal geek stories um, mm -hmm. about the Supreme Court. I mean, I was, I followed the Supreme Court of the United States closely before I became a judge and, and federal circuit splits and that sort of thing. So, you know, and fun stuff too. I, I talk about my kids, I talk about my daughters, um, you know, just in general about being a dad. And so you, you want to try to you know, give give people a sense of, of who you are as a person. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, has it come up at work? Um, has there been, have people asked you about it or, or expressed reserve or yeah, disapproval? It, it, <laughs> you know, I don't, I wouldn't say disapproval. I mean, some of the older judges, anything that comes up technology related, they're like, well, you know, let's let judge Twitter handle that. Or let's, you know, <laughs> my, my interns always think it's, it's, cool that I'm on Twitter, and um, most of them follow me before they even, you know, come to interview with me. Um, mm -hmm. I had one intern before she left just bought me like a, a Twitter mug with my handle on it, she thought. I mean, so I mean, <laughs> yeah, most of the folks, some of the staff attorneys at our court follow me. I've never had anyone come up and say, I, you know, I think this, you know, is not a good idea. I mean, almost universally, I'll have lawyers come up to me 
at parties and say, I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, this is this is a great way for for you to engage with the public and. I think if you, I think you got to be careful in how you do it as a judge. Um, but I think there is a way to do it um, that is really beneficial not only to you as a judge and as a candidate for for office, but also um, just just as a person educating the public. I mean, I think I think if you do it the right way, and I hope I do it the right way. If you do it the right way, I think I think it's it's a net positive, um, even more than that for the for the public at large. Well, and. I, I suppose um, part of the benefit is it's sort of like getting to sit next to the judge at the at the bar benefit or something. You know, getting se- seated at the judge's table is kind of a special perk. Um, but pe- people get to engage with you on Twitter, and I mean, it, I you know the the taking judicial notice of people's birthdays still cracks me up. Um, it hasn't gotten old for me. So <laughs> yeah, I, I like doing that. I mean, people get a, a big kick out of that, and it's one of the things that I can do. Um, to brighten someone's day. I mean, there's so much, I mean, it's going to sound corny, but there's a lot of negativity on Twitter and there's a lot of tearing down of, of people. And, you know, the, I guess maybe the older I get, you know, the, the more civility and kindness and um, just just taking, if, if I can take a moment out of my day while I'm in a meeting or something, you know, while I'm, I, I have a kind of a, 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 period, a down period, or I'm riding in the car, someone's driving me to an event, you know, one of my colleagues, and I can see, the, oh, it's so-and-so's birthday today, and I can just take a moment out of my day to say happy birthday to that person in a fun way. I just think that's, you know, I just think that's something good that you can do. You well, know, that sure you, can, you can spread a little joy, and people get a kick out of it because you're a judge, and, you know, I mean, the whole thing, for me, at least, when coming up as a lawyer, I always viewed judges as being way up high and, and you know, oh, gosh, I mean, almost you didn't want to talk to them at parties when you were younger. And, and in a way, I'm trying to, I don't know if I'm trying to, to knock down that image because I think that the office is important. I take the office very seriously, and I hope I never do anything on Twitter that would make anyone think that I don't take it seriously. I do. But at the same time, we're public servants and we're people. And I think to the extent that we can humanize the judiciary and let people know, hey, we're just regular people doing a very important job, but we're still people. That's part of the purpose of the reason I tweet and the reason I have my account is, is to is to make that accessible, the judiciary accessible to the people. Well, it seems to me that, that what you've just said totally resonates with me, but it it seems like that's actually the objection that some people have to judges being on social media. They think that um, it it makes justice feel uh, it it maybe it shows the shows the sausage being made a little too much when when you get to too much insight into the judge uh, their daily life or or the fact that they're human beings. They don't think judges maybe should be human beings. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know what to do with that other than to say that I, I get that. I think that's how judges have been viewed, almost as kind of mythical figures. But, you know, I, I, I would personally want to know that the, 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 somebody who was dealing with an important case of mine was a human being that had, <laughs> you know, emotions and had a family and, and has empathy toward people in general. I mean, I think all of those things are positives and, you know, I can't really fault, um, or, you know, 
people are going to happen. Look, nobody, if, you, if you're looking for universal acceptance, no matter what you do <laughs> in any position and how you brand yourself, um, but to me, it, it's, it's a very transparent way of dealing with the public. Anybody can go through my timeline and, and, and see what I'm saying and doing. And like you said, it's, you know, there are a lot of people that have access to us, and people never know about that. You know, we'll get invited to a bar event, and there's lawyers there. My, my point is, why should only lawyers have access to, the, to judges? Why mm-hmm. shouldn't the people? Why shouldn't the average citizen um, be able to. Now, obviously, I'm limited in what I can talk about. I don't talk about pending cases. I don't talk about, um, you know, I, I don't talk about, you know, my internal discussions about the merits of a case with either my staff or, or my colleagues. But on the other hand, if somebody is curious, hey, how do you in general decide whether to grant oral argument? I, I think that's perfectly okay to ask. Um, and you don't have to be a lawyer to ask that. Um, you know, why do you, you know, why do you only, um, you know, why do you, do you ever hold a oral argument outside of Atlanta? Um, mm-hmm. Yes, we do. I mean, these questions that, that go, I mean, the people have a right to know um, how we operate in general, not specifics. They don't, you know, obviously we have to keep those things confidential, but I don't think there's, I think a, a population, a citizenry that is more educated um, about how the appellate system in their state or the federal system operates and works. And we demystify some of that. I use that word in my law review article, kind mm-hmm. of demystifying. Even for lawyers, how my court has operated for years has been shrouded in mystery. That's one of the reasons <laughs> why when I got the position, and, and I told Governor Purdue during my interview, I said, listen, I said, one of the things I want to do is educate the public about the appellate judiciary. And I wrote a law. I've kept my word. You know, I use my Twitter account to do that. I use Facebook to do that. Um, I use. I've written a law review article um, for Mercer, kind of outlining the internal workings and culture of the court. Things that we're okay with letting the public know in general about how we operate. I mean, all, why are all those things bad? I, that's what I'm. I'm mm-hmm. kind of. I don't understand is why is transparency to me transparency is a good thing. You know, it seems to me it's it strikes me that um, judges maybe uh, across the country maybe sort of pushing the boundaries of what it means to talk about how the courts work. I mean, the the Supreme Court justices have been out there talking about decisions and you know maybe throwing a little shade at each other. Um, there, you and Judge Justice Willett, and, and a few, maybe a few other judges are are also out there on Twitter. We've got, I mean, Judge Judge Posner has never been shy, but um, Judge Kaczynski's been out there a little bit writing about things, and it, it seems like judges are being a little more public these days. And and maybe maybe what you're doing is just another piece of that. I think so. Now, I do think there's a difference between maybe some of the comments where you're kind of publicly, as you said, throwing shade or taking issue with a colleague <laughs> or, or talking about a specific case. I don't do that. If it's I like celebrity gossip for the yeah, judiciary. <laughs> if I have a disagreement with my colleague, I put that in an opinion, and that's the end of it. You're not going to see me on Twitter, you know, saying anything about my colleagues other than being praiseworthy, you know, other than simply saying, you know, they received an award and, gee, I'm proud of them. Uh, I don't. They don't mind that. <laughs> I don't think anybody <laughs> minds being recognized for their achievements. But I think there's a difference between that and, and sort of, you know, being accessible as a public official, which I think, 
you know, that's part of the job, whether we're a judge or not. We can debate all day long whether or not we ought to have an elected judiciary. Um, for what it's worth, you know, I think Georgia's system is about as good as it gets. It's nonpartisan. Um, appellate judges run every six years. We're, we're accountable to the people. Um, I know that a lot of folks don't like that, and they think there ought to be a different way of doing that. And, and you know, that's up to other people to decide. That's above my pay grade. But while the system is as it is, I think I have an obligation. Um, and even even if I was, even if I got a position for life, I still don't see the problem with judges being. I don't think regardless of how long you hold a position, while you hold it, you ought to be transparent, you ought to be accessible to the people, because you serve the people whether you have a four-year term, a six-year term, or whether or not you have a, a position for life. So it sounds pretty clear that you, you have some goals for this, and I'm wondering how you measure the success of that. How do you, how do you tell if it's working and if it's having your desired effect? You know, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of it is going to be anecdotal. A lot of it's going to be people coming up to me at bar events and telling me how much they appreciate what I'm doing. It's a lot of it's going to be things that you're never going to see in public. I have um, law students and um, young lawyers uh, send me direct messages all the time asking for my advice about law clerkships, asking for career advice. And, you know, I take time out to do that because people helped me when I was up and coming as a young, as a law student and a young lawyer. And, you know, it sounds corny, but I believe in paying it forward. And I always swore that if I ever got in a position of power, that I would remember where I came from and I would remember what it was like to be a young lawyer, to be a law student, to be worried about the future and to be scared and to be working hard and to, and to need guidance. And so... Um, I try to make time to do that. Sometimes I'll do it, you know, out in public. Sometimes somebody will send me a private message and say, hey, I don't want to, I didn't want to send, put something out there in public, but can you help me with this? Can you give me advice? And to me, if I help one person um, in their in their career and they look back and I gave them advice that was helpful, you know, that to me is worthwhile. I mean, if I affect one person's life, I mean, how do you measure that? You know, it's th- that attitude is something that's extremely prevalent among uh, lawyers that I have seen, um, you know, I, I sometimes I talk about, you know, the lawyers that you want to be like, uh, the lawyers who've reached the top of their profession, who are leaders in their subject matter and their practice area at their firms and what, you know, at, at, at appellate courts. And, um, and that attitude of feeling like you want to pay it forward is not corny. It's the kind of thing that I see again and again and again. And, and maybe that generosity of spirit is something that I, mean, I guess I'm not just trying to um, fluff you up here, but <laughs> but uh, that generosity is something that helps get you to the t- highest levels. I don't know. You know, I hope so. I mean, I hope that's, um, you know, I hope that's true. I, mean, I will tell you, um, you know, one of the things when I became a judge, I swore is that I never wanted to be accused of having robitis. Um, <laughs> I, I, I wanted to take seriously um, and my mom taught me this. I mean, from a very young age, I was raised to believe in public service. And so I, I wake up every day, Sam, and I mean, it's uh, once again, I don't mean to sound corny, but I mean, I wake up every day and I am, I feel blessed to do what I do. I have, in my mind, I have one of the greatest jobs in the world. And so, you know, when, when, you know, when you feel that blessed, you, you want to, 
and, and that grateful to do what you do every day. You know, you want to, I want to help other people. I want to bring other people and especially, you know, especially with the way everything is right now for young lawyers and law students, it is tough. It's still tough. It may have gotten a little bit better, but uh, I think, you know, I have a lot of these law student and young lawyers who follow me and I think they are just a remarkable group of individuals. And I think they are going to be, a really um, extraordinary generation of lawyers because they have gone through an, it, just an exceedingly <laughs> difficult period. And I think they're going to come out on the other side. And I know it's probably cold comfort to hear me say that, but I really believe because of the, you know, the trials and tests that they're being put through right now, we are going to see just a tough-as-nails you know, generation of lawyers. I think they're going to be extraordinary. Well, I suppose and you so, flip every challenge, there's an opportunity on the other side. So, Yeah, I, I, absolutely. So, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm just honored to be able to interact with some of them. I mean, they're really, really, I think some of these folks get a bad rap. I mean, you hear about millennials and how they're all lazy. And, well, I, I don't see that with the young lawyers at all, or the law students. I see a highly motivated, they're concerned, obviously, and rightly so, about where we're heading as a country and where the profession's going. But, you know, they're smart, they're bright, they're energetic, and I think they are going to be part of the of the of, of the solution. And mm-hmm. um, they're going to. I think they're going to do our our profession proud. I really do. I think I think you've got a, a good chance of being right there. We'll just have to see what the future holds. I'm curious. You're familiar with Judge Richard Kopp's uh, Hercules and the Empire blog, right? I am. And I, I assume you read his post where he decided to pull the plug and he listed lots of reasons but it kind of felt from reading it like the biggest reason was that at a at a retreat one of the court staffers um said that or or maybe maybe more than one said that they felt like the blog had become an embarrassment to the court and i i guess i'm just wondering what's do you have a reaction to to his decision to that comment um i mean did it make you reflect and and think twice about what you were doing on twitter you know, I, I don't, it didn't make me think about um, – it didn't make me think that I would want to stop using Twitter. It did make me think about, you know, that it that it's a good example to judges of what to do and what not to do. I mean, there were a lot of things I, I thought he did that were um, – were good. I, I thought the the kind of reflecting on his sentencing of Sean Hopwood, um, I thought that was a pretty extraordinary read at the time. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. what I'm referring to. Yep. I'm sure you do. Um, but but I think that's a positive thing to say. You know, judges aren't infallible. Judges make mistakes, and and sometimes all you can do is the best you can do. But you have to make a decision, and, and I think it takes a great deal of humility. Um, uh, to, to look back on something and say, you know, maybe I got that wrong, and maybe I ought to reflect on how I can be a better judge going forward. I hope we're all like that. I think at times um, where you can get in trouble, whether it's blogging or tweeting or any form of social media, is just the immediacy of it. And I think you have to be very careful. I mean, sometimes I read things two or three times and I think, okay. There's no way this is going to be misinterpreted, and yet it's misinterpreted. <laughs> um, you know, or there's no way anybody. But I, I, I think you know between that and a couple of things that happened recently, where I had things that were just kind of wildly taken out of context. 
um, I think it does make you realize that you need to be careful about not only what you say, but the timing of what you say, because you don't, I don't want to get anywhere near politics other than the politics of me. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, I'm all, you know, my, one of my colleagues likes to joke, there's no interest like self-interest. And so, (laughs) you know, the only political campaign I care about is mine. That's the only political interest I have is, is, is my campaign and, and staying on the court of appeals and doing the job I love. I don't, I'm not interested in getting anywhere near politics. I've been out of politics now for almost five years. I don't miss it in the least bit. I was very active in partisan politics. Uh, I know how toxic it can be. It can drag you in. And I'm just, that's just not what I'm about now. That's, that's not what my role is. There's plenty of other people that are more than willing to make partisan, you know, talking points and to, and to, you know, put forward their policy positions. That's just not my role. And I take my job and, and very seriously in staying away from any hint of partisan politics. So I think it made me reflect even more about just being very careful about not having, because look, I have followers from all over the spectrum. I mean, all over the spectrum. I have extremely conservative followers and I have extremely liberal followers. I have moderates, you name it. I mean, every conceivable, um, spot on the political spectrum. I have folks that, and I love that. I really do. I think it's remarkable. Um, it's, it's fun for me, uh, to have folks, um, who are kind of unified by being law geeks and law nerds, no matter what their political persuasions are. And we can kind of come together and talk about the Oxford comma and oral (laughs) argument and, you know, brief writing tips and, and we can put aside, I I want my timeline to be a safe place. We can't, we can't actually talk about the Oxford comma, right? Use it as the, that's it. That's right. You, that's right. But, you know, I mean, that's, that's the thing though. I I want my, I, I want my timeline to be an oasis of sanity and, and just a, a fun, informative place that people can come to and get out of the, you know, the toxic pool of, of politics. Do people show up to tweet at you about decisions they may not agree with? You know, thankfully, I haven't had a lot of that. I occasionally will get some folks. You know, funny, the funny thing is most of the, 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 the people that tweet directly at me about things that go on at the court are happy with some decision I wrote. So that's, that's nice. But I, I don't, you know, <laughs> the, the old joke is as an appellate judge, you always have about a 50% approval rating. Um, <laughs> so you're, you're always going to make people um, unhappy with your decisions. You just got to do the best job you can and and hopefully explain your reasons for why you're ruling the way you're ruling. But I don't, I, I don't, when people do do that, I, even the praise stuff, I just tend to stay away from that. You I don't, just leave it alone. I, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to have any discussion. I mean, to me, those, those, I mean, occasionally I'll link to an opinion if I think it's something for folks to read, but I'm not going to give any discussion beyond what I said in, in, in the opinion. Right. So, um, and I, I feel like I've been throwing a lot of people's objections at you. Um, just for the record, I think it's great that you're, uh, that you're tweeting and that you're out there doing this. Um, and I kind of wish more judges would do it. Is that something you recommend? Do you, when you talk to other judges or, or at judicial conferences, do you get a chance to say, Hey, maybe you should pick up Twitter? I think it depends on the person. I mean, you know, I I had I had a certain amount of social media experience um, 
prior to tweeting. And so I think it's one of those things, if you do it, I think it's probably good to start off small and, and also to have an idea of what you want to do with the account. What's your purpose? If it's just to kind of inform people about your campaign, you know, that's fine. That's a pretty standard way of using Twitter, and, and I would agree that it makes sense to do that. If you really want to gain a following or of folks that, you know, will read your your Twitter timeline on a regular basis, you're gonna not, you're gonna need to go a little bit beyond that, and so you need to figure out what's your purpose, why are you doing this, have kind of a vision for where you want to take the uh, your account. For me, like I said, it was always about being informative, talking about professionalism and civility in the profession, about appellate practice, about all things kind of that law nerds are going to be interested in. Um, you know, and then some fun stuff. You know, I, I talk about, you know, my family's a big Harry Potter family. We love Harry Potter <laughs> and music and, and you know, things like that. And so I, I think, you know, in football and sports, you know, th- those are the sorts of things. And then, like I said, all of that gives folks an idea of who you are as a person. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I think, um, you know, if you can do that, if you can successfully – if people can read your Twitter feed and get a sense of who you are as a person, I, I would consider that a, a successful use of, of social media. So I, I know better than to ask this question at oral argument, but um, are there any other questions that you'd like me to ask? You know, I, I think we, we've, we've covered a good bit. I think, um, you know, I, I think for, I would just say for people that are skeptical of, 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 of judges using social media, I, I would have to agree with Justice Willett. I think if you're an elected judge and you're not using social media, I think that's political malpractice. And I think we have to get past maybe our conceptions of, of, of what a judge, you know, of, of a judge being completely isolated from the public. I'm not sure that was ever healthy. And in any event, we live in a different culture now. And I think there is an expectation, um, and I think the public you're, you're starting to see is demanding, and rightly so, um, not to be too Jeffersonian here, but demanding more transparency from its public officials, including judges. So I, I, think, that's, I think that's a positive thing, and I think if it's done right, and you have to be very careful as a judge, but if you do it the right way, I think um, judges in, engaged in social media uh, is 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 a positive development, um, not only for, in my case, Georgia, but across the country. Well, thank you so much. Judge Dillard is at Judge Dillard on Twitter, and we will, of course, link to his profile when this podcast goes up. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. This episode of the Lawyerist Podcast is brought to you by Ruby Receptionists. Ruby answered the phones for my law practice for a couple of years. And here's the thing. When I was answering the phone, I was often distracted. I might be in the middle of reading a brief that pissed me off from opposing counsel uh, or dealing with something stressful or that I really needed to focus on. And so the phone rings. It's an interruption kind of drives me crazy, and I'm never at my best. That's not the face I wanted to put forward to clients. So when I got Ruby, the whole thing changed for two reasons. First, because 
the ladies at Ruby are fantastic on the phone. They're cheerful, they're friendly, they're helpful. And what happened is that people would regularly say, wow, I just had such a great experience with your receptionist. And second, because my instructions were that anybody who asked for me by name should be put straight through to me. The way that happens is it's a soft transfer, meaning the first person I hear from is a receptionist from Ruby who says, hi, this is so-and-so from Ruby Receptionists. I've got so-and-so on the phone and they're calling about this. Should I put him through? And so I have the opportunity to say, no, tell them to call this person, tell them I'll call them back later, please take a message, or sure, put them through and I'll talk to them. And just that little bit of buffer meant that by the time I got on the phone, I was prepared for the conversation and I could be in a much better mood. Hiring somebody to pick up my phones and answer my phones for me that is as friendly and professional and helpful as Ruby was one of the best things I did for my practice and for my sanity and productivity. So you should check out Ruby and you've got no reason not to because it's free for 14 days. And if you check them out by going to callruby.com slash lawyerist, they will also waive the setup fee should you decide to stick with them. And if you sign up for the trial, they will take good care of you, and I'm pretty sure you will want to hire them in the end. So go to callruby.com slash lawyerist and find out for yourself. To make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.